Hello and welcome everyone to episode 81 of the Apt EVs podcast. I'm your host Chris Rogers and this week's episode will focus on the Aptera news for the period between September 25th and October 1st, happy birthday Jeff, 2022, which will be focused on Transport Evolve's Gamma prototype feature. Hello everyone, I hope that you all had a great week. This week's episode is going to focus entirely upon a great new YouTube feature uh, that, or I guess YouTube channel that I've spoken about on this podcast in the past and you should be very familiar with, Transport Evolved. They've done a lot of great features on Aptera, Nikki Gordon Bloomfield, who got the first ride along in the Alpha prototype way back last year, also drove around I think was the first person who rode around in the beta prototype when it was the the sort of composite body attached to the wheels of loan with none of the aesthetics uh, attached to it. And so she rode along in that. She got a one-on-one interview with co-CEO Chris Anthony following the Gamma prototype reveal presentation a few weeks ago, the one that was done at their factory in front of a smaller audience. I think there were a lot of Aptera ambassadors and some investors, Sandy Monroe was there. So the Transport Evolve team was there and they got this interview with Chris Anthony that I'm going to talk about in this episode. Side note, if anyone from Transport Evolved is listening to this podcast, just wanted to say that the production quality of the interview is absolutely incredible. I guess that applies to all of your videos. The YouTube video itself contains a lot of those, I don't know what they're called, but they're the chapter segmentation clips where you can easily move your cursor around and see where different thematic areas are in the video. And that's always a nice touch. I always love when that happens. The video is great. I'm going to include the link to that in the show notes. So you, if you have not seen it already, I would encourage you to do so. But let's kick things off. The video feature itself, it's largely what I've been waiting for following the Gamma prototype reveal. Some more in-depth coverage that has the had the time to to sit back and and ask more considered questions of Aptera staff. In this case, it's co-CEO Chris Anthony, and basically go through what changes were made in the Gamma prototype. And from this interview, I learned that you know, one of the first things I learned was that the changes to the front, rear, and rear lighting system in the vehicle were made in in response to regulatory requirements in the U.S. And in my mind, I thought that they're just playing around with different looks of the vehicle and that's what caused them to change the light bar in the front. I did know that with the side view mirrors that the changes that they made there, those are definitely a regulatory adaptation. But I didn't realize that the Aptera's classification as an auto cycle forced them to add what is sort of a cyclopean light at the front of the vehicle. It's in the center of the sort of smile-like structure of the front headlight. The central light fixture itself, that will perform the high beam functions of the lights. Also, this may have been stated elsewhere before, and perhaps I'm blanking on it right now, but Aptera's, I think Jason Hill, Aptera's designer, he spoke about this during the Gamma prototype reveal, but the front lights there, they are LED lights. And, and that makes sense because LEDs are incredibly efficient from a power consumption perspective. And they're also incredibly light or bright lights. And, and so it makes sense that 
when you're designing a vehicle around efficiency and performance, you would naturally use LED lights. The first part of the interview that I want to focus on was during a discussion of Aptera's plans to enable right to repair and and work with after park or aftermarket part companies. And so I'm going to include a clip where Chris speaks about that, uh, about Aptera's philosophy in that regard. Part of that strategy also comes in the form of a right to repair and that we will give you any information you need to keep this vehicle on the road for the long term. So if you break a door switch or a window actuator or um, need a new pedal or something, we will send you the information on how to replace that part and ship you that part within 24 hours of your need. I think a lot of other companies have really held back from that because they want you to use their proprietary service network or they want you to order parts only through them, those types of things. But I think we want to be much more open to keep these vehicles on the road long term. We also want the aftermarket to really support this vehicle. We think there's a ton of cool things that you could make and build for this vehicle for the interior, for accessories, for camping accessories, for you know your dog kit, for off-roading options, for all these things. And most companies resist working with that kind of aftermarket element, but we are exactly the opposite. If an aftermarket company comes to us and they want to build something cool for our customers, we will give them the CAD data to make that part. We will help them with the research to understand how that part will actually perform in the field. And we want to encourage as many cool features to make people's lives you know, more comfortable and capable and fun with the Aptera. Now in that clip, the first part is something that Aptera has spoken about a great deal. That is the right to repair ethos of the company. Keeping an Aptera on the road and functioning should be easier than any other vehicle. If if not, I would be shocked if there's another vehicle or especially an electric vehicle that comes out that will be easier to repair than an Aptera. The second part though, regarding support for aftermarket part companies, that's really interesting and not something that I thought too much about. I guess I thought about it in terms of the customization that maybe the hot rodding company or community might do, people who are attempting to extract more performance out of an Aptera, make it move faster, and maybe people who are racing. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I've seen too many of the Fast and the Furious movies. That's where my mindset has always gone when I thought about enabling people to tinker around with the vehicle. But I hadn't thought about aftermarket parts and just general features that companies make for vehicles. And, you know, one example of this is for... Tesla Model 3s, uh, there is a wireless charging pad that came out fairly early on in the company's life that a lot of people found uh, really, really enjoyed and, and got a lot of usage out of. I think the Tesla Model 3s, when they first came out, I don't know if they came with USB-C charging, but they didn't have wireless charging capability. And so a company came out with a pad that you could easily add to your Model 3. And those are the sort of, of, of I guess, accessories that Aptera is apparently going to be very, very friendly in order to enable. And if Aptera is going to be sharing CAD data and information regarding performance functionality, there's a potential for incredibly sophisticated aftermarket parts and accessories. Assuming that Aptera's Crank software platform will also play nice with these sort of add-ons, there's, there's an even larger range of products that potentially could be added and could be available fairly quickly. Likely the only limitation for the number or the aftermarket parts, uh, or I guess our accessories, you know, and the, the scope of those will be 
the number of Aptera customers. That is, if you know, right now there's 30,000 pre-orders, I anticipate that that market or the number of Aptera owners globally is going to rise fairly quickly, especially when people find out they really do the math on how cost efficient the vehicle will be. And so if you've got hundreds of thousands of Aptera owners who are looking around and also you're enabling these companies to do stuff, then I then that's what will determine how many, or I guess the diversity of what's going to be available. One item that I imagine would be very popular from the start, just based off of the controversy of this design feature, is an attachment that would turn the yoke steering wheel into a completely a complete steering wheel, a full wheel instead of a half wheel. You know, that's not something that I would go for. But if you're someone who saw that yoke and just you know, maybe more than just rolls your eyes or that turns you off to the vehicle and you want something that's just a standard a standard wheel, then basically anyone with a 3D printer who gets the CAD data from Aptera is going to be able to make something fairly nice and, and add that on. And, and if you don't mind about the loss in, in visuals and the vision forward system, then you've got yourself a, a regular steering wheel that you can make. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's just one idea that I had, you know, and, and something that's interesting for, for myself is in the rear storage area. The space is so large that, you know, I imagine that, you know, when you're, you're going shopping or whatever you're doing, if you put it in the back of the vehicle, objects are going to move around a lot if they're not secured in some way. And so as a solution, someone could maybe make a pad that has more grip so that objects don't slide around as easily or maybe even some sort of compartments that are specially sized to fit easily in a way that would secure them in the rear hatch area to make it you know, so you could have a number of smaller compartments. Um, you know, and there's and then there's obviously there are really common uh, aftermarket accessories like floor mats, seat covers, accessibility improvement attachments that you can add to a vehicle, and all of those. I, I think I, I might have said this before, they could be available not just on day one of Aptera's availability, but per, perhaps even before Aptera actually goes into production or, or people start driving them around on the road. Because once Aptera has finished the design of the vehicle, if they're sharing the information with different companies, companies can figure out what are the full specs of their vehicle and they could start making and selling them before Aptera's, uh, Aptera start hitting the road. So that'll be something to look out for in the future. The next part that I wanted to focus on, and I'm going to play another short clip from, is regarding the impact of the side view mirrors on the overall efficiency of the vehicle. For the mirrors, though, you know, the regulators say we have to have mirrors, and it's an aerodynamic hit that we really don't like. We would much rather uh, use a visual system, uh, which we think is superior in many ways uh, to the usability of a mirror, but we're fighting that regulatory battle. Hopefully people out there will support us uh, in our fight to get rid of these, uh, these mirrors. But um, yeah, we would pick up another uh, percent, percent and a half of efficiency, just getting rid of the mirrors on this vehicle. So. One of the improvements for the Gamma prototype that's been mentioned and discussed a lot is the improvement in the overall aerodynamic profile of the vehicle. And I've been wondering for a while if that would mean that there a resulting increase in the overall range of the vehicle. If they've reduced the coefficient of drag, then for me, it made sense. It's like, well, 
if you have a more efficient vehicle, then the range of the vehicle should also increase. But thus far, they've, Aptera themselves, they've been sticking with the range promises of the vehicle, 250 miles, 400 miles, 600 miles, 1,000 miles. So that hasn't changed. And I think Chris's statement here about the loss in efficiency from the side view mirrors, the fact that there is a couple percentage point loss in the efficiency, that may maybe the partially or the explanation for why there hasn't been any change in the range numbers my theory is that the improvements that they've made to the coefficient of drag and the efficiency of the vehicle itself they've been off those gains have been offset by losses in other areas and that could be coming from perhaps overall weight increase you know it's been stated that the vehicle is four inches longer the overall body is one percent larger as well which is supposed to improve comfort but that should add a little bit of weight and if you're talking about a few percentage point loss in efficiency from the side view mirrors alone if you balance those things out then i could see how you could end up with um a, a just the overall range just being same what they started out with they're they're going to hit those numbers but you know I, I think the maybe the icing on top that i've been hoping for a while it's just that they're going to say like, oh, by the way, because we did all of these improvements in the overall design of the vehicle, it's now, you know, we're going to say 250, 400, 600, 1000 miles. But actually, it's it's more like 260 to 270, four, you know, 410 to 420, et cetera, et cetera. But it looks like it's not like 250 miles is not sufficient, but that's just something that I've been curious about where they've said repeatedly that they have made these improvements and and then I've just wondered what the impacts of uh, of those changes are. Uh, the the next clip that that I'm going to use, and I guess the last clip from the Transport Evolved video, is regarding the differences between the Gamma prototype and the final production version of the vehicle. Eptera has stated in the past that there will be fewer differences between the Gamma prototype and the final production version than what we've seen in the past for the Alpha prototype builds from Alpha to to gamma, that is a much larger gap, or I guess alpha, there's a beta version, beta to gamma, but beta to delta and onwards, you, they're not going to be the same level of changes. And in this clip, Chris explains what's going on there. Yeah, the difference between gamma and delta, which is a pre-production vehicle, uh, won't be terribly visually apparent. Um, it's all happening on the back end. We're trying to sign supply agreements for all these parts. So we have a designed part, we release that part to a supplier. Now we have to get you know, a prototyping sample back from them and make sure it's what we want. And that's what's gonna happen over the next six months is working with a supply chain to take this Gamma design and turn it into a fully production contented vehicle, which means we have the part released, we have a supplier for the part, we uh, test a, a prototype part or something from that supplier, and we sign a supply agreement to get those parts in volume uh, you know, by next year. So uh, that's really the effort. You'll, you'll, you'll stand back uh, and have Delta sitting there and, and Gamma um, sitting here, and you won't really see a, a lot of the difference. Uh, but the difference will be apparent if you look at our bill of materials and our amount of supply chain contracts and you know, how we actually get this vehicle into production. This is where the hard work that Aptera has done with manufacturing simplicity will hopefully smooth the transition into the production phase. They know what's on their, I guess you could think of their manufacturing shopping list, and the subassembly design will help them hopefully to compartmentalize the challenges of securing the parts that they need in order to 
manufacture the vehicle. Additionally, they've already taken care of the big ticket items, at least for me, the biggest item, ticket items in the manufacture of the vehicle by working out supply agreements with Yazaki on the wiring harnesses. Alafe has handled the hub motors. They have secured a couple of different battery cell suppliers and they're building the solar panels as well as making the composites, I believe. They're doing that in-house. And so with those items out of the way, the sort of parts that they're securing and the things that they need to build, it's glass for the windscreen, the rear hatch, as well as the side windows. There are the doors where they're going to be passing along the designs for these parts. There are all of, I guess, the wiring, the, the nuts and I said the wiring, even though Yazaki is doing the wiring harness, but the the nuts and bolts of the, the literal nuts and bolts of the vehicle. Those are the parts that they're sorting out, purchasing, and you know they're they're just making sure that they're essentially they have everything that they need in order to make the vehicle. And you know I'm, I'm glad that Chris was able to provide the clarity that from the perspective of those outside the company, like myself we shouldn't really expect to see there be really any significant or, or particularly noticeable visual changes from here on out. I imagine there are some changes that, you know, you, you could see there will be some exceptions to that. I think one of the ideas that they've been playing around with on the solar panels is right now you could you could see this in from fully charged live or any or the recent or any of the shots of the the gamma prototype, but there's sort of a a copper filament that you can see outlining each of the solar cells and I think they've said that they've played around with either making that visible or invisible so that's one ways in which there could be changes also the material that will be used it's not quite a I mean it's not really a bumper but the the wheel pants the front wheel pants of the vehicle and also the rear wheel pants there's a sort of I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's a squishy vehicle that's or material that's supposed to allow you to hit things going up to four miles an hour and it won't shatter or break or it won't destroy the composite vehicle. They might be playing around with that material a little, a little bit. They're also finalizing the materials, I believe, in the interior. And so you could probably do some, some before and after comparison shots at some point and you'll be able to say, Oh, this actually looks different from what they did at, you know, at such and such date. If you're the type of person that listens to this podcast or you're an eagle-eyed observer who's been actively following Aptera as a company, that's the sort of thing that you'll notice. But for everyone else, what they showed at Fully Charged Life, that's what the vehicle is going to look like. And, and unless they do any changes in the overall colorways of the vehicle, no one is going to notice what happened between the the gamma prototype and, and eventually what customers are driving around on the street one of the last interesting parts of the discussion and it, it helped to clarify something that i didn't realize which is that aptera is 100 percent committed in going forward with using the tesla plug on their vehicle i was under the impression that part of the campaign that they were doing to encourage u.s charging network builders to adopt the tesla standard at I believe that was, you know, coming from a couple of reasons. One, Aptera as a company was hoping to gain access to the Tesla supercharging network. And two, they're hoping to encourage people who are building out charging stations to utilize a 
a more technologically efficient and high performing uh, charging standard. And so, you know, they, they want everyone to adopt this standard so that then it would be worth it for them to include that standard in their vehicle. But what I didn't realize is that, no, they, they're going to use a Tesla plug. And if other chart, if, you know, if they don't gain access to the Tesla supercharging network and if other companies don't start using it, you know, then the plan there is just that you would use an adapter to use to connect to what is the Tesla plug on the back of of the vehicle itself. Uh, Nikki made this comment, and, and I'm with her, that I don't really care about what the standard that's used at, as long as it works. Um, but I, you know, I will, you know, I, I do acknowledge that it's a, a far more elegant design to use that Tesla plug. And basically what Tesla is, is doing is, you know, they're, they want to build their vehicles with the most compact, most efficient, and best engineered solutions for all of the parts of their vehicle. And the Tesla plug, that's just one part of that. So if if the rest of the charging networks in the US, if they get up to speed, then Aptera vehicles will be positioned to utilize that without requiring extra attachments or plugs. But regardless, if, if none of that happens, then the internals of Aptera vehicles, and as well as the rear part with the plug, they're not going to be locking in the older Tesla vehicles to to that the larger, clunkier CCS plugs or, or other alternative solutions just because those happen to exist and the rest of the U.S. market hasn't gone along with it. You know, it's a, in my mind, it, it's an interesting approach because they're, they're basically, they're going all in on, on, on the belief that other companies will look at that standard in the U.S. and go, hey, you know, that this is just, this is a, a better idea. We ought to, we ought to use this, this plug. This is potentially safe. A, a lot of money and you know in the meantime you know tesla owners um i i think chrissy also mentions this you know a lot of tesla or excuse me not as the tesla owners aptera owners a lot of aptera owners this is really kind of a, an irrelevant conversation and, and choice because the solar means that there's not going to be a need to charge or to plug a an aptera into the wall you know in in any case be you know you're if you're getting, if you do the maximum solar package, which I did, you know, 40 miles a day potentially charging if it's really sunny, perhaps around half of that, you know, most of the days on, on a cloudy day, mean that it's just not, it's not going to matter what the the plug that's used. And so, from Aptera's perspective, it 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 really doesn't make sense to build in an inefficient larger heavier piece of technology that the the ccs plug into the vehicles when you i don't know uh 80 of the time it may turn out that aptera owners they're not plugging it into the wall you know, in any case so it's just it's just extra baggage that's not quite uh necessary i'll have to look up what the costs are of those adapters from the tesla plug to ccs but i mean uh, tesla vehicles those are the most common um electric cars in America. So I imagine they're they're fairly ubiquitous and they're fairly easy to obtain. Um, I, I mentioned at the top, but please check out the Transport Evolved Gamma Prototype video. Um, I have the link and I'll have that in the show notes. Um, I would also encourage you to check out the rest of their channel. They, they do a lot of great work on clean transportation and electric vehicles. Um, and so check it out.
And that concludes episode 81 of the Apt EVs podcast. I hope you found this episode interesting. If you really enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend so that we can continue to grow the Aptera movement. I also include my referral link in the show notes, which you can use for $30 off your $100 refundable deposit for an Aptera. The Apt EVs podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, leave five-star reviews, yada, yada, yada. If you have any questions or feedback, including corrections, please send those to aptevspodcast at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at apt underscore EVs podcast. Thank you to OS50 for the song Movies, and in the words of Jeff Kanata, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Music.